All right, well, let's go ahead and let's pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll spend some time in, in the Word this morning. Let's go ahead and let's pray. Dear Gracious Father, we thank you so very much for your Son, Jesus Christ, who's come and died on the cross for our sins, who was buried and rose again on the third day. As we open up your Word and as we think about the marvelous truths that we find here, we ask that your Spirit would be working in our hearts. We ask that we would... Uh, see your son, that we would exalt your son, and that as the Spirit is working on our hearts, that we would shave away those things that are not good, we would repent of those sins that we need to repent of, that we would rely upon the, the, the Spirit as he moves in our heart, so that we would walk in a way that's pleasing to you. Very thankful for this morning and everyone who's here, and we just uh, ask your blessing on this time. We thank you in your son's name. Amen. So many times uh, when a leader is called to make a, a, a difficult decision, and especially when it's a, in a church setting, a spiritual leader with spiritual decisions, sometimes those decisions are not received in the spirit in which those decisions are given. And I've been a part of a lot of those decisions, and some of those have been very tough, some of those have been very easy, and it's inevitable that there's always people that are right on page. There's also times where people will initially really reject the decision that's made, and then we'll come back later and we'll say, actually, we prayed about it, we think you were right. There's been times where I've made foolish decisions, and uh, that's bad, right? And uh, the past couple years, there's been a couple big churches that if I would say you would know who they were and some of the things that are going on with them, and a huge scandal from leaders making really foolish decisions, lack of discernment. Uh, my, My purpose this morning is not to expose them or to talk about them. This isn't a let's put a pastor up as a pinata and beat him until the candy comes out. The point, the point that I'm trying to make, though, is this, is that there is great benefit when you have a leader, a wise leader, who makes, makes decisions from God's word using discernment, relying upon the power of the Holy Spirit. That's always a good thing. Last week, we talked about how each of us, in, in different ways and at different times in our life, may be called to be a leader. Maybe it's not the same as, as other people, but you're always a leader. There's always a place for you to be a leader, whether it's just amongst a a group of friends, whether it's in the family, whether it's in a classroom, whatever that may be, over your sphere of influence, you're called to lead and make decisions. We also said last week that everyone is, as a believer, you are called to be a follower. That is it. We are all followers. We are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And a good leader is the best follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's how we should judge leadership. Are are they good followers of the Lord Jesus Christ? And do they tell people, I'm going towards Jesus, follow me while I'm going there, right? This is where we're going, follow me. Last week we talked about leadership, and we talked about how a good leader desires to get rid of evil when he sees it. The problem is, everyone is a sinner, even the leader himself. So, so you've got to deal with sin. 
How do you deal with it? That's what we talked about last week. This week, it's still kind of following that same vein in Proverbs chapter 20 of leadership dealing with evil. Last week, we, we dealt with how does anyone deal with, with sin in their life. This week, uh, Proverbs is still going through what does it mean to be a, a wise leader and still dealing with this issue of sin, but is also going to add in another component of discernment. Discernment. We spend a lot of time in the book of Proverbs dealing with discernment. Remember, discernment is that ability to know what is right and what is wrong. It is also that ability to choose what is right and what is wrong. It's that ability to know what is true and what is false. So it's like that ability to judge and and to judge correctly, right? So this morning, we're going to look at this discernment and the leader's discernment. In Proverbs chapter 20, we're going to be in verses 10 through 12. In, the, in verses 10 through 11, we're going to look at the deviant behaviors of the foolish. We could even say the deceptive behavior of the foolish, and, and we'll see what you, I'll show you what I mean here in a second. And then in verse 12, we're going to see that the wise leader has discernment. So it's the deviant character of the foolish and the discernment of the wise, the wise leader. So let's just go to verse 10, and notice, notice what Solomon says. He says, On equal weights and on equal measurements are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Now, we've already dealt with this subject before, of this idea of scales and uneven weights. The difference, though, when talking about it this time, is that it is in a section of leadership. And if we go back up to verse 8, it says, A king sits on, his, sits on a throne of judgment and winnows all evil with his eyes. So, so uh, this is what a wise king does. Is he looks and he tries to discern and, and, and see evil practices and say, No, we're not going to do that. We're going to do this. Then verse 9, who can say I have made my heart pure? Or who can say I am clean from my sin? So the, the sense is, is that even though a king might have a desire to get rid of all this stuff, there's so much, he's limited in what he can see, and he himself is sinful. And I think verse 10 then is an example of one of those things that a king should be looking for, a wise leader should be looking for, and it's these Really deceptive practices. So just think back to the two texts that we learned or that we studied before, Proverbs 11 and Proverbs 16, where it deals with this issue of unequal measurements. Remember when we were in Proverbs 11 and we were talking about where Solomon uses the word a false balance as an abomination to the Lord? In the ancient world in the marketplace, if you were to go to the marketplace and say, I'd like to buy a pound of wheat they would have a scale uh, that had two metal plates on it they would put a rock that they said this equals a pound and then they would put the grain on top of it and so when it would even out they would say well this is a pound of grain and here you go but it was a common practice for them to either find a smaller rock and say this is a pound and it's not a pound it's close to a pound but it's not a pound Or when when somebody would say, well, that doesn't look like a pound, they would get a false weight that says, look, this says a pound on it. They would put that on the scale, and then they would put on a smaller rock. And so it would even out, and so the people would go, okay, well, I guess it is a pound. And so instead of, so you pay for a pound, but instead of getting a pound, you get 
I don't know, nine-tenths of a pound. In some way, you might go, what's the big deal? Why, why is that such a bad thing? Why does God hate that? He hates it because of his character. He hates it because it's dishonest. He hates it because it's a lie. He hates it because it, it takes advantage of people. He hates it because it itself is lying. And so a, a wise king loves what the Lord loves, and he hates what the Lord hates. And here it's, it's this, this practice of unequal weights and unequal measurements Both of these alike are an abomination to the Lord. The word for abomination, I don't think there's a strong enough word to describe hatred other than abomination. This is absolutely loathing. It's that type of hatred that you have when your blood boils. It's that that type of hatred, it's that type of hatred that you don't even want to look at it. It makes you sick to your stomach when you see it. That's kind of the idea of abomination. So this practice, God hates. He hates it. No believer should ever be a part of this type of thing. Should never be a part of this type of practice that has a business that represents one thing, but doesn't deliver that thing it represents. Right? That, that, we shouldn't be a part of that. And whenever you're in a place of leadership and influence of other people, you should never, you should never say, it's okay if we have false weights something bad. It's a deceptive practice. So you see this practice in the streets. Uh, imagine you're walking through the ancient city and you see this. And, but, the, but the point of this is that it's deceptive, that you, you might not necessarily see it right away. Right? You might look at the rock and go, that does look like a pound. Does look like a pound. So it does require a little bit of investigation, a little bit of discernment to see that this isn't necessarily right. And I think that's what Solomon's pointing out. He's pointing out that it's this practice that is, uh, it looks good, it, it, it presents itself as being legitimate, but it's not. Then we get to the next verse, which is maybe one of the more difficult translation uh, issues in the book of Proverbs. Uh, very difficult, very split on how this should be interpreted and, and how it should even be translated. I'm just going to read the ESV. It says, even a child makes himself known by his acts, by whether his conduct is pure and upright. Now, there's two words in that particular sentence that are contested. The first one is the word even. Even to what? Is the child being compared to the wise king who winnows evil with his eyes? Or, some suggest, the even is that the child is being compared to unequal weights and measurements. So there's that word even. What's being compared here? Or what's being added on to? And then it's the word makes himself known. Now, let me just share with you some of the difficulty here. So I'm reading from two what I think are very reputable, uh, reputable uh, dictionaries. The first one is the Word Study Dictionary. I think it's fantastic. This is what it says about this word. A verb meaning to pretend, to consider carefully, to investigate, to acknowledge, to recognize, to make unrecognizable. That's a lot of definitions for one word, right? Here's another one. It's, uh, it's known as the DBL This is what it says, to make known. So you could see one group of people says this word means pretend, hypocrisy, 
The other one says it's revealing his nature. More modern translators and interpreters take that this is talking about a child who, is, who reveals his character at a young age, and it looks pure. It looks good. But, but, regardless of how pure it looks, if you then notice the next verse in verse 10, it's the hearing ear and the, the seeing eye, the Lord makes them both. The, the sense is, is that, yes, a child may appear innocent at the beginning and, and may have good intentions and look good, but it's ultimately because of the Lord's working on their heart. It's, it's not just that they, this person just comes out pure, because that would contradict very clearly the statement that's made up in verse 9. Who can say that I'm pure? Right? So it would have this idea that they look good, but all that goodness comes from the Lord. The second one, which I think follows the context better, would be, would be translated this way. Even a child pretends in his acts, whether its conduct is pure or upright. So it gives the idea that it looks like one thing, but it's really hypocrisy on the inside. But that seems to follow the context, doesn't it? I mean, you figure verse 9, who can say that I'm pure? No one. Then you have verse 10, which, which has this practice of pretending that one thing looks legitimate, but it's not. It, it's willfully lying. And then you have even, so the context of that even would be, it's the antecedent of verse 10, right? That's the thing that was just said, so that's what's being added on to. So even this child makes himself like, like that. He, he's, he's like those weights, those uneven weights. It's an incredible verse, by the way. If you think about it, if this, if this in fact is talking about the hypocrisy of children, this would immediately make you think, yeah, I've had kids. This happens. Kids can do things that look really pure, really good for ulterior motives. People pretend. People are hypocrites, right? Even children. But, but, think, but think of the weight of what Solomon is saying here. Who can say that I'm pure? Can the businessman in the street all the way to the little child, who can say that they're pure? No one. Why? Because there's always these deceptive practices. Even a child can pretend to be righteous, can pretend to sing the songs, can pretend to do all the things, but that doesn't make the child righteous. That's something that only God can do. And so if a child can be hypocritical, how much more an adult? Right? I remember as a kid... uh, one of, the, one of the things that people used to say to, to people who, who followed the rules was, man, you're such a Boy Scout. And I've often thought of that phrase, you're such a Boy Scout, because normally my image of a Boy Scout is some little kid helping an old lady across the street. And as I've thought about that over the years, I've thought, that's nice. I mean, that's, that's better than pushing the old lady in a pool. But it's not necessarily altogether righteous, because what's his real motivation? That merit badge. Right? I mean, it's a nice thing to do. I'm not saying it's bad, but I'm not saying it's altogether righteous because there's this ulterior motive. I have kids. My kids are sinners. And they do this. 
They pretend to be righteous with ulterior motives, right? How many of you have had kids or been around kids have heard this one where a kid comes running into the room, I'm really concerned because Ezra's doing A, B, C, and D, and he hurt me. It sounds innocent. It sounds pure. Just genuine love for my brother. Oh, by the way, I also want to get him in trouble because he has a toy that I want, right? Last week, we talked about how deep, how serious, how to the core of who we are, how much sin has touched us. Everything is skewed by sin. We're born sinners, and, and, and we're, we're, it's, it's always there. This is something that's true even of children. And so Solomon is saying, just think about this. Here's a wise leader. He's trying to winnow out all the evil. There's evil everywhere. He himself is evil. There's things that look good, but they're not good. There's people that look good, but they're not good. How is he going to winnow out that evil? What, what does he look to? Where does he go? What's, what's that line? What's that thing that he uses? What's that guide that he uses to discern what's right and what's wrong? Then we come into this next passage. Notice in verse, verse 12, the hearing ear and the seeing eye. That is, uh, that's, that's some, good, some good images there, strong poetic images. By the way, I do not think that Solomon here is doing a, uh, a little Sunday school song that we do with little kids God made me and my eyes and my ears and I see because God made me. I don't think that's what he's doing. I don't think this is Solomon's version of a God made us. I think there's something deeper about discernment here. And just think about the image here of the hearing ear. That's what ears do is they hear. But, but I think it's much more than that. I think the, the, the image of hearing and the image of an ear hearing in the context of the book of Proverbs and in poetry is this idea of an ear that's ready to listen, eager to learn, eager to, to, to pick up every single sound. It's an ear that's inclined. It's an, it's an ear that's trying to get closer to the person who's speaking. And, and the idea of a seeing eye is this idea of somebody that can perceive. They can see what's going on. So notice what it says. It says, and the Lord has made them both. God not only has made the physical hearing ear and the physical seeing eye, but spiritually, God gives us the ability to perceive spiritual realities. Apart from God's working in the hearts and in the minds of his people, we cannot see spiritual realities. We are in desperate need of him. We're in desperate need of his work on our hearts to see the obvious truths that are there. This morning I was thinking about what are one of, what's one of those most obvious truths that the Bible teaches that the spirit is, is the thing that teaches us that that most obvious truth. And I thought, Jesus is Lord, right? That truth, the bedrock of our faith, that Jesus is Lord. Notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12, just notice we're going to start in verse 1. 
He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. So before you were a Christian, you were an idolater. How were you led? I don't know. You were led. Whatever that looks like, you were led. All of us were idolaters, right? Then notice what he says next. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Holy Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. So if you're a believer, there's never a point in which you will deny the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and say that it failed. It doesn't really truly save us. That's never going to happen. So then notice the next thing he says. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. You see that? So no one who has the Holy Spirit can deny the person and work of Jesus Christ. But then the implication is, the only way that you can see that truth is because of the Holy Spirit that's opening your eyes to see that truth. Paul in Romans puts it like this, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Think of Peter. Peter, when he makes that grand statement... Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And they give all these other prophets. And then he says, but who do you say? And Peter says, you're the son of God. And what was Jesus' immediate response? Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but it was God who's in heaven. So so there's a lot of places in the scriptures that teaches us that the only way that I can see things spiritually and I can hear things that God wants me to learn is because God is giving me the ability and the perception to see those spiritual realities. Without the work of God, I am blind. Without the work of God, I am deaf. So as I think about this, how does God cause me to hear and see these spiritual realities? Here, I think in this text, it talks about except by the Holy Spirit. And it's incredible what the New Testament teaches about the work of the Holy Spirit on the heart of the believer and what he does. And there's, he does so much, and, it, and it, it's, it's amazing how many times we say, you need to do this, you need to do this, but if we were to read our Bibles, we'd realize that's what the Holy Spirit's doing. He's already done that. You don't need to. You don't need to do that. He's already done that. And so I think about this spiritual reality, this, uh, this ability to have discernment and hear and see. This comes from the Holy Spirit. So what I want to do is I just want to walk briefly through this glorious truth of what the Holy Spirit does to the believer. And, and I'm, going to, I'm going to get back to Proverbs, and we're going to talk about the, the discernment and the ability to discern. But I, I think it's important for you to see some of the steps before you get to that ability to discern, just to... Just to If nothing else, just to say amen, God's grace is so good towards me. I was saying yesterday to the men, um, we were talking about grace, and I said, you know, we we have that acronym, uh, grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. I love that. I think that's a great open door to the discussion of grace, but grace is so much more than just I get stuff because Jesus did something. Grace is God looks at me favorably. God is working on me favorably apart from who I am and what I've done. 
He gives and he gives and he lavishes and he looks and he's pleased. Not because I'm performing to that level, the degree to earn all that stuff. But he gives it based off of his own character. And part of this grace is this work of the spirit on, on, the, on the believer So one of the things that the Holy Spirit does to the believer at the very beginning of our spiritual life is he causes us to be born again. Go with me to the book of Titus, chapter 3. Titus, chapter 3. Just notice in verse 5, it says, He saved us. Is there any sweeter words This morning than that, he saved us. You didn't save yourself because you couldn't. He saved you, right? Titus 3, 5. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness. Sometimes we think it's because that's what it is. Or sometimes we think it's because we have a lot to offer God that God said, I'm going to save this one. He's the first round pick. No, no, no. We, no one in this room is a first round pick. He saved us not because we were so great and we just do so many great things and he wants to reserve us for his team. It's not like, a, it's not like a elementary school picking teams in a gym situation. No, he saved us not because of things that we've done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy He saved me, he saved you, because he looked at us, he saw our pitiful position, he saw our inability to save ourselves. he saw our sinfulness, our unloveliness, he looked at us, he looked at us with compassion, he looked at us and said, you can't do it, it's impossible, but I'm going to do it for you. And notice what it says. It says, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. You and I were brand new. I was born again because the Holy Spirit caused me to be alive. He said to me, live, and I was alive. I used to be dead. Now I'm alive. This is what he's done. Another thing that I think happens simultaneously is this doctrine of what we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This isn't you're never commanded to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, by the way. Don't, don't believe that. There's never a command ever for you to be baptized. It is always given in an indicative, meaning this is something that happens to you. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I think, happens at the moment of salvation. I think all this, by the way, just happens in the moment of salvation. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit, according to Romans 6, is the Holy Spirit puts us into Christ. I'm identified with Christ. I'm identified with his death. I'm identified with his burial. I'm identified with his resurrection. So the old is gone and the new has come. And now I can walk in this newness of life. I'm placed into the body of Christ. I I, I didn't sign up. I'm placed there because of him. Right? And and so I have this new identity. I'm in Christ. I, I wasn't in Christ before. Now I am. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. There's another thing that he does. It's incredible. He indwells the believer. He didn't do that before. 
Now he does. And now there's this special empowerment that he gives to me as a believer because he indwells. There's this closeness that he has, this empowerment that he gives. There's now this leading and guiding that he offers. And, and, and now he's beginning to change me from the inside out and make me more like Jesus Christ. One of those ministries that the Holy Spirit has for us, thinking of discernment and thinking of this passage in Proverbs, is the incredible ministry of illumination. When we talk about the ministry of illumination, this is where the Holy Spirit teaches us from God's word and guides us. Illumination, it sounds exactly, the doctrine is exactly what it's like. It's the idea of like a light bulb moment. Right? I don't know if that's ever happened to you while you're reading the Bible. and You're reading something, and you may have never seen it before, and you read it, and you go, oh, yeah, duh. <laughs> I can't believe I didn't see that before. The illumination of the Holy Spirit is not that he's giving you anything new, because he's already given us a lot. Right? He's given us his word. The doctrine of illumination is that he exposes the meaning and deepens your understanding of what is already written. So illumination is not new information. It's the same old information, but now in high definition. And the Holy Spirit, as we're reading the word, he causes us to see Christ. He causes us to see our own sinfulness. He causes us to see the gloriousness of God. And he teaches us. And as as we're reading and, and as we're looking and as we're prayerfully considering the text, he deepens our understanding of what is found there. Not only that, but he continues to teach us, and we're all at different places. And the things that the Lord's teaching me, I'd be surprised if he's teaching you the same things. We're all learning something different. And I imagine all of the people who are taking notes right now, if we were to grab their notes, and if I was to just read what they're writing about what they're getting from the sermon, I guarantee you the notes would not be the same. In fact, some of you might go, he didn't even say that. How did he get that? The Holy Spirit is leading and guiding, and he's using the word. And as you're reading the word, there's things that are jumping out at you. There's the conviction of sin. There's moments of, uh uh-oh. There's moments of amen. There's moments of, I need to do that. There's moments of, that's really encouraging that the Lord does this for me. There's all of that, and that's the Holy Spirit teaching And when the Holy Spirit's teaching, his voice is the voice of Scripture. That's it. And he's teaching you these principles. The guidance of the Holy Spirit is then when you learn these principles, he he helps you apply those principles to the situation at hand. That's the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So literally, the voice of the Holy Spirit is the Scriptures. When he's leading you and guiding you and teaching you, it will have a chapter and verse. And, and the principle will be sound. And it will be true for not only you, but every Christian that's lived since the day of Pentecost until the rapture. It will be a true principle. Now, your application of that principle in your situation will be unique to your situation. Amen. And the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you in that application. So when we go back to Proverbs, as a believer reading Proverbs chapter 20, thinking of a wise leader and thinking of this idea that, a, that the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. Think about what we just 
talked about, the Holy Spirit not only creates me as a new man that has new capabilities to see and to hear his word and make affirmations that I couldn't make before. He allows me to go into the text, learn principles. He's teaching me these principles. He's teaching me about the character of Christ, about his own character, about his will. Then the Holy Spirit guides me in the application of that which that is exactly what the leader needs when he's seeing these things which are deceptive. How does he know which way to go? God Almighty, the Holy Spirit, is teaching him and guiding him, and the scripture then becomes that standard by which he judges. And then it's the Holy Spirit who helps him see, helps him hear, so that he can make the right decision that will be honoring and pleasing to the Lord. That's how he can see through these things. That's how he can make these decisions. That's how he can cut through things. So as believers, just as believers, it's really important that right now, regardless of whether you're a leader or not, or whether you realize you're a leader or not, just as a believer, it's really important that you're walking by the Spirit. You're spending time in God's Word, You're praying and you're yielding to the Spirit now. It's really important that you are being taught by the Spirit now. Don't wait until there's a situation that requires God's wisdom to then try to catch up on all the other times and say, well, now I need to start walking with the Lord to figure out what he wants. As believers, we are to be walking in the Spirit now, exercising that now. So that when it comes time for those decisions, we're already walking in the Spirit. We already have those principles and the guidelines. So that when we make a decision, more likely it'll be one that is pleasing to the Lord. Like I said, every one of us at some point will be a leader. We will influence a sphere of people. The size of that is determined by the Lord, but you will. There are times where you will have to make decisions that affect other people. How do you make those decisions? You make those with discernment from God's word. That that, that takes time. That discernment takes time in in walking with the Lord, spending time in the word, spent time practicing this. So that when that time comes, it's easier. It's not easier perfect but it's easier so what do we do well i think the first thing i've kind of just alluded to it of what do we do with a text like this is one we need to make sure we need to make sure that we are walking by the power of the spirit and we are honing our senses in discernment the bible teaches that it's spending time in his word time in prayer yielding to the spirit and being obedient And as we continue to do that, we get better and better at discernment. It is possible to not spend time with the Lord, to not pray, and your senses of discernment can be dulled. It's not a good position to be in. It's not a good position to be in. So we need to, one, right now, sharpen our discernment senses by spending time with the Lord in his word, learning what he wants. I think another thing that's really important is we need to be praying for each other. Paul in the book of Colossians prayed for his brothers and sisters 
And one of the things that he prayed for was that God would open their eyes so that they would be able to see wisdom and gain wisdom and be able to walk in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. We need to be praying for each other about myriads of things. But make sure that when you're praying for each other, that we're praying that we each walk in a way that's wise. We're walking according to God's wisdom. That is such an important thing that we should be praying for each other about. If you're ever wondering how to pray for another believer, I would say do that. Pray for wisdom. If you're ever worried, if you're ever thinking, well, how could I pray for Pastor Caleb? There you go. Wisdom. And when I pray for you, guess what I'm praying for? Wisdom. One other thing that I was thinking about this morning, what can we do with discernment with a text like this? I I think it's really important that we celebrate, not throw a party, not make a big to-do, but we say we celebrate any time someone makes a decision using discernment. We as Christians, particularly our brand of Christians, are really good at disagreeing with people that agree with us on everything. And we're really good with criticizing people that do the same thing we do. We're very good at it. Sometimes we don't encourage each other like we should. And when we see each other walking in wisdom, showing discernment, there is nothing wrong with one brother or sister going up to another brother and sister and saying, hey, I saw that. That's really encouraging to me. That was a good job. I really praise the Lord for what you just did, that you acted in a way that's discerning according to God's wisdom. That's incredible. Thank you. That that was great. It's okay for us to encourage one another and say, good job. Giving the credit to the Lord, obviously, but encourage one another. We 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 should be people who encourage people living for the Lord. And, and that needs to be something that needs to be prevalent. That needs to be something that we're doing on a regular basis. So how, how do we help each other with, with discernment? One, we discern, we, we, work, we hone our own skills of discernment. Two, we pray for one another that God will give us wisdom. And then three, we praise the Lord every time that we see someone acting in discernment and we encourage them saying, thank you, that was good. That really encouraged me to see that there's another brother and sister who's walking by faith who is showing wisdom and honoring and glorifying the Lord. May the Lord give us both the will and the ability to do all that we heard today. Let's go ahead and let's pray. Father, we thank you so very much for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you sent your spirit that does this marvelous work in our heart, not because of anything that we've done, but because of all of this work that you're doing on us. And I, it's, it's too incredible. It's too incredible to think about all of this. And yet you give this and you give it lavishly to each one of us. So we're very thankful, very thankful for your work upon our hearts. We pray, Father, that we would be people of discernment, that we would be people of wisdom, and that we would be yielding to your spirit, acting in a way that is like your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you and love you for everything you blessed us with in your son's name. Amen.